0: Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty.
1: Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk with you today. So, can you start by introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan?
0: Sure. I'm Peter Reich. I'm the director of the Institute for Global Change Biology. And our mission with this institute is to improve our ability to predict and hopefully prevent the worst outcomes of global change.
1: Thank you. And in what areas does your research focus?
0: Well, my own research personally has historically focused on the way in which climate change influences the health, diversity, and productivity of forests and grasslands, and in turn, how changes in those ecosystems feed back to either slow down or speed up climate by either storing more carbon or returning more of it to the atmosphere. Um, More recently, I've been interweaving my work more with the nexus, so to speak, or the interface between climate change, biodiversity, and environmental justice.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. And can you tell us a bit more about the work and research of the Institute for Global Change Biology?
0: Sure. As I mentioned, the mission of the Institute is to improve our ability to understand and predict and hopefully prevent the worst outcomes of global change. And what our Institute aims at in terms of global change are carbon dioxide and associated climate changes, including climate warming and changes in precipitation and and increases in events such as droughts, fires, floods and other kinds of uh, major climate disasters. But also we look at other global changes, things such as land transformations, deforestation, land use change, biodiversity loss and plant and other uh, animal invasions and uh, eutrophication or nutrient excess nutrient loading. and. In order to do this work, we have four interwoven goals, which are, first, we wanna serve as a bridge to connect across different academic units here at University of Michigan, where work in these areas is already ongoing. And by serving as a bridge and and a network, so to speak, across all these, we wanna build a global change science community here at Michigan. And that community then can advance cutting edge science about global change. We can also train the next generation of global change scholars who work both in science and in practice, and fourth, help find solutions to our global crises. And in all of these, we want to be value-added in the sense of doing something across the university that would not otherwise happen.
1: Thank you. Your recent research, in which you conducted a five-year experiment, was recently published in Nature. The study found that even relatively modest climate warming and associated precipitation shifts may dramatically alter Earth's northernmost forests, which constitute one of the planet's largest nearly intact forest ecosystems and are home to a big chunk of the planet's terrestrial carbon. Can you tell us more about this work and the process of conducting this research?
0: Sure. That research is really part of a larger set of studies that we do as part of an even larger community of researchers who are trying to understand what's going to happen to Northern forests in the US and Canada and around the world as the climate changes. And even though sometimes people think, oh, it's cold up in Canada and in, in Scandinavia and even in Northern Michigan or Wisconsin and Minnesota, won't warming be good for these forests? They'll grow faster. Um, and unfortunately, the answer is largely no, not entirely no, but largely no. That's because the species of trees that have adapted to those systems are adapted to cool temperatures and moist conditions. and the at the southern edge of these boreal forests in places like Michigan and Wisconsin and Minnesota, um, the spruces and firs in particular, but other species as well, are already growing under the warmest conditions that they're well suited for. So even mild temperature warming um, can cause those species to be facing conditions that they're, they're not really well adapted for. And so the way we do our research is, because any kind of research is, is incomplete and imperfect, we try to bundle a variety of different types of studies together for a more holistic approach. So I'm going to tell you about our long-term experiment, uh, which is the only way we can directly test whether trees or soil organisms or ecosystems can respond to specific climate changes. But those are very, very small scale. Um, And even if they last 10 or 20 years, that's short-term. So in addition to experiments, we use long-term observations, which might look at the way forests change Change over decades using repeated surveys, or we use tree rings that can tell us what's happened over hundreds of years. We also use uh, satellites to look at the way forests change over huge areas like all of North America. And also, we use models where we take our best understanding and try to then simulate and predict how forests might respond if we uh, artificially, in the model framework, confront those forests with novel temperatures and moistures and wildfires of the future that we expect to see so all that together is how we try to understand what's going on in the forests. and so the experiment in particular that you're talking about that was the subject of our paper in in nature last year was a unique experiment in which we warm plants both above and below ground by just a few degrees Celsius. Or a few degrees, a little bit warmer in Fahrenheit. In fact, in Fahrenheit, the warming would be three, and five and a half degrees in Celsius to 1.6 and 3.1 degrees. With the notion of understanding what a relatively modest increase in warming would do, to the ability of these uh, tree species to grow, to survive, uh, and to basically create the next uh, generation of trees in the forest. So the way we do this, we have these. 72 plots, each of them about the size of a small bedroom out in the forest, where, as I mentioned, we heat without chambers. We heat with infrared lamps above ground and buried uh, wires below ground, both the soil and the plants. And we've planted probably 20,000 seedlings over more than a decade in these plots into intact n- natural vegetation. And we basically go back and repeatedly measure lots and lots of things about them. And maybe the most central ones for this conversation are Their growth and survival. And what we've seen is that the more northerly species that tend to grow up into Canada, and these experiments are actually in northern Minnesota, the species that tend to grow in far northern Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, or into Canada, like spruce and fir, jack pine, and, and paper birch, for instance, don't really do very well with even a degree or two of warming. Their growth is slower, and they actually die a lot more frequently, like a much greater proportion of the seedlings will die every year. And this actually turns out to be due not to just a degree of temperature difference, um, but the fact that with a higher temperature, and you'll know this if you think of a hot day in the summer, if you have tomatoes in your garden, plants and soils lose water much faster and they dry out faster. So even with the same amount of rainfall in the future, Even a degree warming will dry out soils faster and forests will be more droughted. Although rainfall to date has increased year after year on average in the last 50 or 60 years in places like Michigan and Wisconsin and Minnesota, more of that rainfall has occurred in the spring and less in mid and late summer. And the predictions are that in the future we'll have more rain, the total rainfall annually will be higher, but more of it will happen in the spring less than the summer, and it'll happen in fewer events. Uh, So we'll have these um, rainfall events where we get three, four, five, six, seven inches of rain rather than a half inch every other day for two weeks. And most of that rain runs off. And so if we have less rain in the summer and that rain that falls is in fewer events and it runs off, we will have drier soils, even if there's more total rainfall. That's kind of a hard thing for people to understand, but it's true. So the way to think about it is we're going to have more floods and more droughts in the future um, because the rainfall is going to become uh, skewed to fewer events and more of those events happening in the spring when we our plants and soils can't use as much of the uh, water. And so the increased mortality we see and the slower growth that we see of our northern species in our experiment is really due to the fact that under warmer conditions, soils get drier. And this is actually something we see not just in these highly intensive, but small scale experiments, but in our observations uh, across uh, all of the boreal forest. that over 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years, species like spruce and fir in Canada are growing more slowly and dying faster. And it's because there's more frequent droughts. And so a warmer world for northern forests is going to be a problematic world, but not just because you know being 82 degrees for a week rather than 80 degrees Fahrenheit is a stress, but that the 82 degrees on top of all the rest of the changes in precipitation and, and temperature is going to be a droughtier 82 degrees. And so it's really the drought that's going to be problematic for our forests in the future. And we see this with satellite imagery as well. Um, Something called global greening and global browning, which basically, literally, almost is satellites looking at how green the surface is or how brown it is. And at the southern and western edge of the the boreal forest, in places like northern Great Lake states and in south southern Canada, the forest has become browner over time. Whereas you go further north and east, where it's colder and moister, there it's gotten a little bit greener because if you're you know five hundred or seven hundred miles further north from Michigan into Canada that's a place where it is cold and wet and a little bit more warmer temperatures can be beneficial, at least for a while.
1: And what are a few key findings that you hope people understand or take away from this research?
0: Well, I think the main thing people really need to realize is that climate change is impacting nature and people now. It's not just something that's gonna happen 30, 40, 50 years down the road and the impacts now but even more so in a decade or two from now will be enormously harmful to both natural systems and human systems we've been focusing on our research in forests but these kind of impacts are occurring not just to forests in the boreal zone forests everywhere but also agriculture everywhere and human infrastructure everywhere you know think about how many times Downtowns and cities and towns are flooded these days because those in, incredibly heavy rainfalls can't be handled by our our water sewer systems street sewer systems that were designed for lower rainfall events and so these impacts on both our natural systems and our infrastructure are economically damaging but they also harm the biodiversity of nature and that biodiversity of nature is what allows our grasslands and wetlands and forests to be resilient in the face of climate change and help uh, provide the ecosystem services we need. And so we need to realize this is not just about saving nature, it's about saving nature and saving people, our own communities and our societies because um, we need to do this and we need to do it now.
1: Thank you. Earth Month is recognized annually during the month of April. And as a researcher who has conducted global change research on plants, soils, and ecosystems, can you share with us your perspective on this month and what we should be focusing on when thinking about preparing for what we may see change in the future?
0: That's a great question. Um, Well, I maybe have a 180 degree different perspective on this in some sense. Obviously Earth Day, which we started 50 or 60 years ago now was not enough nor is Earth Month. What we really need to is have Earth every day, uh, (laughs) where we focus and care about the Earth um, every single day. And so I think within Earth Month, but also every other month of the year, we need to realize that we need to change how we, the well-to-do of this planet, go about living, commuting, eating, vacationing, and consuming. We need to change uh, lots of things about all of those And a sustainable, low-carbon world will be different, but in my mind, it'll be an even more positive place to live. So, you know, we need to change how we do things, but rather than, like, saying, oh, no, you know, we're not going to be able to to drive our giant gas-guzzling vehicles, you know, anytime we want, halfway across the country. But to me, it it would be great to imagine a world where we don't need to spend hours a day in gas-guzzling, or for that matter, electricity-guzzling vehicles, because instead we live in walkable cities and towns. Uh, with solar, wind, and geothermal energy, and we eat well on a plant-centered diet from food raised sustainably, you know. And this is all possible. And what's not to like about it? And so I think we need to focus on the changes we can and need to make that will actually make the world better for us and for everyone else. So it's not, it's not like we have to give things up to make these changes. And in fact, if we don't make the changes, then we'll have to give things up because nature will be really harmed. But also human economies will be harmed every year as badly as they were in the worst of the great depression simply because climate change will exact such a giant toll on economies and so that's actually one reason i'm optimistic is that humans although sometimes we we do the right things because it's the right thing to do we also do things often for self-interest and greed is an amazing one and i think actually greed will save the planet because people can make a lot of money by saving us from the worst of climate change. And so I think that actually corporations and individuals and small businesses that realize how much we both need to change things in order to to improve our economies and save our economies, but also how much money we can make in doing those things will be what actually drives us towards doing the right thing, which is maybe a sad commentary in some senses, But at this point, I don't really care. As long as we make the changes we need to make, I think that's hopeful.
1: Thank you so much for that perspective. Can you share any resources or organizations that people can get involved with throughout Earth Month and beyond?
0: Well, this is a really good question. And I have a couple in mind that are my favorites, but actually I'm not gonna mention them because there are literally dozens and dozens of fantastic organizations doing the hard work locally, nationally, and globally to stop climate change while preserving biodiversity and enhancing social justice. I'll be happy to give you a list of those you can put online if that's useful, Um, but I would also encourage listeners to do a little research on their own to find out about organizations that work locally or regionally or globally that you are excited about as a listener that you can support with your energy, actions, or Resources are all three.
1: Thank you. And as the podcast comes to a close, what is one thing you hope listeners remember from our conversation today?
0: Climate change needs to be our number one priority because everything else we need and want to do on this planet will require us to stop climate change. And it's such a slow moving target that unlike some other things you can fix in a year, this is... You know, a decadal or century-scale problem. And so we need to stop climate change. And the good news is it's far better ethical and economic strategy than ignoring it. Which which maybe leads to the my maybe last point is that this old idea that choosing to save the environment comes at a cost to our economic well-being is totally out of date because it's the opposite. If we don't stop climate change, our economy is going to spiral down the drain. Um, So stopping climate change will be required for us to save our economy and our society and our well-being. And along the way, we'll, we'll save or help preserve much of biodiversity. And in fact, we can do all of those at the same time.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. It has been an absolute honor to talk with you today and learn from you. So thank you for taking the time to join us.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me. It's always uh, good to share one's thoughts and visions, and I'm glad that your podcast is helping people think about and learn about these kinds of issues. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.